welcome to 15 Minutes in Canberra. I'm Hayley Channer, Senior Policy Fellow with the Perth US Asia Centre. Today I'm being joined by my friend Susanna Patton. Susanna works for the Lowy Institute as its Research Fellow and Project Director in the Power and Diplomacy Program. Previously, Susanna worked for the US Study Centre as a research fellow in its foreign policy and defence program, and she's also had a very long and illustrious career working for government departments, including Prime Minister and Cabinet, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, and also the Office of National Intelligence. Susanna, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So the first thing I want to ask you is about your role with the Lowy Institute. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you are doing with them and how you're using your Southeast Asia expertise? So at the Lowy Institute, my role will be to prepare the annual Asia Power Index, which is a data-driven assessment of power in Asia. So it's, um, it's a fantastic report, which my colleague Hervé Lemahieu initiated. We're now in the fifth year, and it looks at how different countries measure up, 26 countries in Asia, on eight different measures. So it includes diplomatic power, military capability, economic capability, and, and so on. And so I'll be preparing that report with other researchers this year. And then more broadly, my interests are in Southeast Asia and Australian foreign policy, and also a little bit about US Indo-Pacific strategies. So I'm able to continue to, to write and research about those issues mm. at the same time. Um, I just wanted to ask about the Asia Power Index. So when is that coming out this year? And how is Australia faring in terms of um, how it ranks in some of the military, diplomacy and other categories? Well, the Power Index normally comes out at the end of each year. And Australia tends to do pretty well um, on most of those indicators. Um, Australia in particular does well on defence networks, which I know is something that you've followed closely in terms of defence diplomacy and those connections. Australia ranks, I think, second only to the US. So that's an absolute strong point. That's in its networks. That's in its defence networks. Yeah, not in terms of overall military power, obviously. Um, there are other countries that are much more militarily powerful than Australia. But Australia has a real edge when it comes to defence diplomacy and the networks that we have with regional countries, which is, I think, a result of our investment um, mm. in that area over a long period of time. Something I'm interested in, I'm sure other people would be too, is actually how the Asia Power Index comes to being. Are you able to give a bit of background on the process of actually collecting the data? Like, do you work with other think tanks that are based in the region to collect the data? How does this information come together to show us uh, what we get in the Asia Power Index each year? The data is a mix of primary research and existing indicators from other um, institutions. So the challenge with working with 26 countries is you have to have the same data point available for all of those countries. So there might be good data available about some countries in the region, but it's hard to find data about um, PNG, for example. Um, so yeah, some of it is, is um, for example, 
talking about defense networks earlier, primary research about the number of diplomatic dialogues that different countries have in the defense space. And some of it is taken from World Bank IMF data sources as well. Mm. Now, Susanna, turning more to your area of expertise, which is Southeast Asia, you've obviously worked on this subject, whether it was ONI or um, at DFAT, for instance, and you've also had a posting to Bangkok uh, where you learned a lot about Thailand. Would you talk a little bit about Australia's relationships with Southeast Asian nations, um, how they're going, and also in terms of any strategic divergence that might be happening in terms of this great power competition between the United States and China and how Australia is handling it compared to some Southeast Asian nations? Hmm. Well, uh, this is something that I, I, I really care a lot about. And I think overall... The picture when it comes to Australia's relationships with Southeast Asia is not a bad one in the sense that we're not having kind of um, exchanges of diplomatic tit-for-tat like we have in the past with countries in our region. Relationships are generally quite positive and last year Australia established comprehensive strategic partnership with ASEAN, one of only two countries to have that highest level of designation um, Australia also has had new cooperation with countries like Vietnam, with Singapore, with Malaysia. So the picture is certainly not a bad one. But I think over the longer term, Australia has some important questions to ask itself about how we're going to reconcile the approach to China, which we're pursuing with something that's very different from what we see from regional countries. So our approach currently is focused on partnering with the US, um, with India, with Japan, with other countries that share our concerns about China with the goal of developing a coalition to maintain kind of favourable regional balance of power. I think Australia's strategy is quite clear, whereas for many countries in Southeast Asia, they're not interested in being part of that kind of coalition. They don't share necessarily our threat perception towards China and they're much more ambivalent about the role of the United States in our region. Mm. So over time, I think that will cause real questions about how Australia grows those relationships because it's not necessarily going to be as a result of strategic convergence. Mm. Instead, I think Australia is going to have to grapple with the question of how we nurture those relationships in other ways that don't necessarily rely on a shared vision for the region. Mm. Just thinking about how Australia should be nurturing its relationships with countries in Southeast Asia, obviously we invest a lot of time and attention in our closest neighbour, Indonesia, but is there a country, it could be Indonesia, is there a country in Southeast Asia that you personally feel is underdone in Australia's efforts, time, attention, whether that's diplomatic or in our defence cooperation? Like, Is there a particular country in that sub-region of the Indo-Pacific that needs more attention? I think certainly in Australian policy recently, Indonesia Singapore and Vietnam probably get the most attention or high-level focus. But I think there's a good argument to say that all of the countries are important and that sometimes it's the 
um, sort of middle-sized countries where we could be doing more than what we are. And I'm not necessarily talking in terms of diplomatic engagement or things at the officials level, because I think we're pretty consistent there. But certainly at the political level, I think there's an argument to say that with countries like Thailand or the Philippines, you know, much more high level focus and attention by way of visits would be really meaningful there. Mm. Um, also inviting them to visit here, also important, um, because those things are a reflection of our priorities. Um, and I suppose in addition to that, what I would think would be important for Australia would be to take Southeast Asian perspectives into consideration more when it comes to formulating our own policies. So obviously we know the example of um, Prime Minister Scott Morrison's um, suggestion that Australia would move its embassy to Jerusalem in Israel. Um, that caused a lot of consternation in Indonesia. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so because of Indonesia's long-standing policies towards um, Palestine. And so I think there's a need in a range of areas for Australia to really consider how its broader global or regional policies are going to play out with countries in our region. Hmm. That's if we want to really grow those relationships. Hmm. Just on your point about inviting foreign leaders or officials to visit Australia, I think it's often um, underappreciated how much those personal relationships and visits can actually really expand the relationship quickly, even just reflecting on the fact uh, South Korea's president, President mm. Moon, visited at the end of last year and uh, it had been many, many years before yes. a South Korean, Korean president had been invited, let alone someone from Southeast Asia. Do you think that Australia has um, changed its approach to working with Southeast Asia over the years and that we're actually learning not just from the in-country expertise but through the trial and error of engaging with Southeast Asia? Do you think that Australian diplomats are doing a better job or getting more traction than we previously did back, you know, say in the 60s or 70s? I don't think that... Australian diplomacy is, um, you know, a problem in our engagement with, with Southeast Asia. I, I don't see it as being the real sort of the reason why our relations either succeed or fail with the region. I think um, decisions that are made at the political level in Canberra are much more important in many ways, and Australian diplomacy has been fairly constant with the region. But the investment of our Prime Minister and of our Foreign Minister in making the time and prioritising relationships with countries in Southeast Asia has been the variable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just a couple of kind of small examples of that. Um, it's been around 20 years since the last Australian Prime Minister made a bilateral visit to Thailand. They've visited for ASEAN meetings or for APEC, but not made bilateral visits for since 1998, John Howard was the last Gosh. one. So that kind of focus, I think, has fluctuated over time, and I think that's certainly something that's, that's noticed. Mm. 
Uh, and it's something you can't control either if you're mm. working as a policy official at DFAT or, you know, Office of National Intelligence. You can't control what the Prime Minister or the Minister of the Day does or even if they change. So I can imagine it would be difficult in that respect. The next thing I wanted to talk to you about is um, multilateralism in the region and looking at some of the different multilateral groups um, we were talking before about how this year is a kind of bumper crop year for all of the different meetings that are going to be held. Thailand is hosting APEC. Um, there's the G20, which Indonesia will be involved in, and also Cambodia is the chairman of East Asia Summit. Um, what's your view, Susanna, about the role of multilateralism in the region and how important are these meetings? Because there are a lot of these groups. What does a sort of convergence of Southeast Asian nation hosts mean for these um, meetings? Well, I think the fact that Southeast Asia will host those three really important meetings this year is a really important opportunity for the US, Australia and others to engage and partner with countries in the region. And looking at Australia's diplomatic role historically, regional multilateralism has been our great greatest strengths. You know, some of Australia's key diplomatic achievements like the establishment of APEC, the um, decision by ASEAN to establish the ASEAN Regional Forum, which Australia also played a smaller role in um, the decision to establish a G20 at the leader level, something that Australia strongly advocated. So as a smaller, medium-sized country, we have real interests in those kind of inclusive groupings remaining strong, remaining robust. Um, so it's a, it's a really important opportunity, but, you know, one thing that I think um, could potentially derail some of these meetings this year is the issue around Russian participation, because the US, Australia and other countries have already said quite clearly that they don't think that Vladimir Putin should be invited to attend um, any regional summit, certainly not the G20, which has been the one that has been discussed most. And I totally understand the perspective to say that Russia's invasion of Ukraine should be condemned and that Russia should be internationally isolated. But I think it's also really important that we do that in a way that works with the hosts of these meetings rather than putting pressure on them or making them feel like they're being forced to choose between different great powers. Mm. Has the Russian invasion of Ukraine um been responded to differently by different Southeast Asian nations or has there been more of a collective response through mechanisms like ASEAN? Certainly the Russian Russia's invasion of Ukraine has varied a lot by different member countries of ASEAN. There has been an ASEAN consensus statements but they've been very minimal and then ASEAN countries have been able to do whatever they prefer. So Singapore's taken a very strong position, even announcing that it will implement sanctions against Russia, um, which is driven by its view as a small state that those issues around sovereignty are very important to its survival as a nation. Uh, whereas other countries like Vietnam and Laos that have much closer relationships with Russia that depend on Russian military equipment um, have taken much weaker positions and have even um, voted, uh, abstained or, or voted against US-led resolutions to condemn Russia um, in the Human Rights Council and the UN General Assembly. So there's certainly a, a huge spectrum there. Mm. 
Susanna, thank you so much for distilling all of this down for us. I mean, Southeast Asia is so diverse and um, it has so many different aspects to it and different dynamics going on. But in this very short amount of time, you've been able to give us a really fantastic snapshot to bring us up to speed with what's happening there. I know you've also written on the issue of the Ukraine invasion and reactions in Southeast Asia for the Lowy Interpreter. So I really encourage people to go and read your work on that platform and to keep an eye out for the Asia Power Index later this year. But thank you so much for joining me and sharing all of your insights. Thanks for having me, Hayley.